When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ken Apsack, this is Daily Thrones, and it's the weekend edition. That's right, these three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we kick off our shoes and talk Game of Thrones. How is that different from Monday through Thursday? Well, it's not. It's just the weekend edition, and we're going to have some fun, guys. I saw some more news that I was fortunately uh, able to avoid clicking on, but some... Spoilers out there, set photos, really uh, teasing some stuff from season eight. And uh, God bless uh, the sites that report them. It, it's news and some people don't care. I care. I'm trying to avoid as much as possible. I hope you guys are too. So we can keep our speculation here on Daily Thrones pure. Nothing more important than pure, responsible speculation. We've been cooking up some wild stuff here in uh, Daily Thrones about what we'll get in Season 8. And I I, I talked about uh, yesterday I'm going to start taking a look at Season 7. I'm going to rewatch it for myself. I know it's a, at times, much maligned season. It's a controversial season just because, in the sense that a lot of people didn't like it, but also fandoms. Fandoms everywhere are in this uh, kind of uh, era where we all have some thoughts and opinions that are, well, you know, strong. I just want to see for myself, am I being too soft on the show? Is my joy just too much? I don't think so. But I want to have a critical eye. Look, go back, and you guys can watch, rewatch season seven with me when I do it. Uh, but right now, let's uh, go to the phones. I love saying that. You guys are always so great here on Daily Thrones, contributing to what we got going on, contributing to the community. Community will remain strong. It's a lone wolf pack of wolves surviving type of situation. Let's do it. Let's go to the phones. Hey, Ken, I got permission to tell all my friends this. Uh, my sister and my brother-in-law are expecting. She's doing September. I'm so excited. I'm going to be an uncle. And it got me thinking with Game of Thrones, you know, on the show, who, who, who's the best uncle? And, you know, there's a couple contenders. Ned certainly, you know, you can consider him one because he, you know, he's, was actually John's uncle, not his father. But... For me, it all comes back to Benjen Stark. I, I just think he was the best uncle. The way he saved Bran, and then last season, saved John. I, I like to think I would do the same thing for my niece or nephew, that I would save them if need be. So that would be my choice. All right. If we're truly a community here at Daily Thrones, we need to take some time to say, hey, Eric, congratulations to you and your family becoming an uncle. It's an important thing. It's a good thing indeed, but it is a good question of who who is the best uncle in Game of Thrones? I mean, I'm assuming we're going to toss Euron out. Um, I don't think we can say that, you know, Stannis was particularly good uncle swords to Gendry. That didn't work out so well. So I think some of the choices might come down to, yeah, Benjen Stark and Tyrion Lannister. And I guess it depends on what you 
what you think uh, about each character and their contributions. Tyrion has a, a longer uh, sample size, and well, he uh, he wasn't a great uncle to Joffrey, but any in many ways he was. He was strong and stringent, trying to give Joffrey some life lessons, some boundaries that other people wouldn't give him. Uh, that you, you know, just because Joffrey didn't take them, you can't fault jo- uh, Tyrion there. And to Marcella and Tommen, I, I would say Tyrion was a pretty loving, caring uncle. He was definitely warm. They definitely loved him. It definitely worked. But he, he did sell Marcella off to Dorne, which ended up getting her killed and wasn't around for Tommen. In fact, some of Tyrion's actions overseas may have helped put some pressure on Cersei for her to make some decisions that led to Tommen's death. Oh, boy. So... Is the answer Benjamin Stark, someone who was just around for a very short time, but whose legacy, I think, was was definitely present in Jon Snow for a long time. In many ways, Benjamin Stark drove Jon Snow in the early days of the Night's Watch, uh, either inspiring him or providing some tough love and guidance early on, and also, uh, particularly on the show, creating uh, you know some goals for Jon Snow. Benjamin clearly was someone that Jon Snow looked up to. Now, in the book, there's a little bit of uh, you know, John. John joins the Night's Watch under the same circumstances, but uh, um, it's more about Catelyn Stark there. But I, uh, I think, you know, Benjamin Stark comes back and saves Jon Snow. And that's what we need now more than ever. So, I guess, by default, Benjamin Stark would be my best uncle in Game of Thrones as well. But, oh, late entry into the fray. No, not the phrase. Ober Martell, I mean, you know, Tristane and Quentin Martell and, you know, all of Prince Durant's children. Oberyn was a beloved uncle to them. But, nah. I think it's still Benjamin. What do you guys think? Hey, Ken. So I just wanted to call in and share my thoughts on Kevin and Eric's call, uh, Eric's originally about uh, in season eight opening, the cold open being the end of the battle. Now, uh, I'm going to say right off the bat, I really don't like the idea because I feel like it would be pretty anticlimactic. Usually I agree with Kevin and Eric every time, um, but I feel like showing us the end of the battle first thing in season eight would be very anticlimactic. Um, the only way that I would accept that happening would be that if if somehow it was a flash forward from Bran. Um, the last thing that I want to see is the end of the battle and then get actual flashbacks to show us what happened. I don't want the last season of Game of Thrones to be in flashback form. Um, yeah, so if, if it was from Bran, if Bran was, you know, doing his three-eyed raven thing and going into the future, and that would work for me, I think. I think I'd be able to give that a pass. But uh, ultimately, I'm not huge on the idea of showing us the end of the battle first. So thanks for taking the call. Have a great day. All right. It's a Friday night at the time of this recording, and I'm home alone. I've got my sweatpants on, my, my slippers off. It's a dangerous time. But I wanted to see if we could come up with what is the worst tactical decision in all of Game of Thrones so far. We got another season to determine if uh, if the all-time worst tactical move is made. But going back to the first seven seasons, what is the worst tactical mistake? And there's some choices. We have a lot of choices. And I'll tell you right now, I don't know if I have the answer. 
And maybe by the end of this weekend edition, we all can come together and have a conversation about the biggest tactical mistakes of Game of Thrones. I want to go back to Season 7, where I'm about to start reviewing it uh, anyways, um, and look at what might be the biggest, just because it's the newest, the most fresh, doesn't mean that we can't rank it number one, and that is, well, the Night King has an ice dragon now, so what led to that? Well, it was Danny taking her dragons north to fight his army. Well, why did we do that? Well, it was because Jon Snow and his Super Snow Team 6 went north to capture White to bring it down to Cersei. They succeeded. They lost a dragon in the process, which led directly to the Night King being able to burn past the wall. And what about that captured White? Well, it did convince some people uh, that maybe a team-up is needed. It seemed to affect Jamie Lannister in a way. Kyburn seemed kind of happy with it. He's got some new research material. And Cersei... And Euron, well, caused them to cook up something that might end up affecting John and Danny's efforts in the end. So it's quite possible that that is the worst tactical decision, going north to capture White, bringing an all-star team uh, to try and succeed. We, you know, only lost Thoros and Mir, and, you know, a dragon. I can't pin that one on Danny. And you got to pin it on Jon Snow, but... Seemed to be that Tyrion was behind it as well. So that might be a big mistake. Tyrion also fell for a little bit of a ploy when he sent the armies uh, that they had, the, the uh, Unsullied, to Casterly Rock. It was a great plan. Just Jamie and everyone were one step ahead of him. It was a bad year for Tyrion. He slumped last season. There's been other mistakes, other tactical decisions. Jor Mormont. Taking all his rangers north didn't turn out too well. Battle of Blackwater? I can't fault Stannis. It was a good plan. They might have won if not for Tyrion Lannister, which is what some, uh, what Tyrion would have you remember. What is the worst tactical decision? There's other choices as well, but I want to hear from you guys, and maybe all through this weekend edition, we can figure it out. The weekend edition rolls on here on Daily Thrones. I was out uh, shooting a little pilot uh, pop culture debate show with some friends, and, and one of the questions was, what is uh, the all-time best or what is your favorite TV theme song? Now, we're you know generally asking about songs uh, that have lyrics, some of those themes from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Gilligan, Gilligan's Island is one of my favorites. Uh, Cheers, obviously, is an all-timer, another one of my favorites. And, of course, the question comes up about Game of Thrones, which is one of my answers, certainly. I think Game of Thrones' opening theme song and that sequence, the maps, is one of the more inspired opening sequences of all time. Just, I mean, when you put it all together, you are immediately brought into that world. You're immediately uh, get a lay of the land. You get a history. You get a story. And I think... I think that makes it one of the all-time best. But some people in my group this morning while I was shooting this thing were like, "Well, it doesn't have doesn't have lyrics." We're, we're talking about we're talking about uh, you know these classic themes. So should the Game of Thrones song have lyrics? Now, of course, it shouldn't. But maybe we here, Daily Thrones, can come up with some lyrics. 
I'll let you guys take the first shot. Meantime, let's go back to answering this question about what is the biggest tactical mistake in all of Game of Thrones. And I wasn't quite sure my answer. I want you guys to maybe help to help me decide and we can all come together as a team here on Daily Thrones. I'm leaning towards going north of the wall, trying to get a white. This leads to Danny losing a dragon, which leads to the Night King getting a dragon, which leads to the wall coming down and why we're in so much trouble. And then even though they succeeded in the mission, sort of, uh, Cersei wasn't necessarily convinced that that white was enough for her to team up with everyone else. She's still being diabolical and shady. So that's my thought. But maybe you guys can help convince me. We'll put another thought into my brain and we got some calls coming in. Hey, Ken. Uh, so we're talking about what is the worst uh, tactical decision, the biggest blunder uh, in Game of Thrones. I got to be honest, I, the one that I go for is the idea of sending a team north to collect a white in an ultimately futile effort to have Cersei join them. Um, it cost Danny a dragon, and it cost, uh, it cost the living people of Westeros one of their best chances, uh, one of their three best chances at staying alive. Um, that's my opinion. I think that is the biggest tactical mistake, is their choice collectively to send people north of the Wall, and it ended up costing them a dragon. Hey, Ken, a really great question. Where's tactical decision? There's a lot of contenders, but I'm going to maybe have to give it to my man, Stannis. And no, not for uh, the Battle of Blackwater, but for the Battle of Winterfell, attacking it just head on with such a limited force with no horses, no siege supplies. But now I do understand, of course, at this by this point, he had pretty much descended into a sort of madness of sorts, you know, with the whole Shireen thing. And like and like he said to Davos, he said, we march to victory or we march to defeat. And that was his stubbornness, of course, speaking. So I think that was definitely a mistake to just charge like that. I don't think he really took into account that the Boltons were going to be ready. All right, two great calls here. And Thomas is kind of back in my play of this going north of the wall. And, you know, Thomas stated it pretty clearly. This isn't just a simple military blunder or something that didn't go wrong. Those dragons, those three dragons were Westeros, the good living people of Westeros. It was their best chance for defeating the Night King. I mean, prior to losing that dragon, Danny was on a roll. Not only did she burn up the Lannisters, but she was north of that wall, just crisping, frying, burning all those whites. And she uh, had that advantage. They lost that advantage. Yeah, she still has two. He still has one. But now you have an undead dragon fighting against you. It's going to be a little tougher to defeat him. So I'm still kind of sticking with that. But Eric has some good points. Talking about Stannis. Yeah, Battle of Blackwater might have just been a loss. And there, you can't account for a secret army coming in to save the day at the last minute. But charging Winterfell with a depleted army, a uh, army that is cut in half, I mean, at least, by deserters, no horses, no weapons, just swords on feet. It was a tactical mistake. But like you said, Eric, this was at the end of Stannis' run, the end of his rope. He had faded away. He'd made a series of mistakes that led to that moment, and it was an uh, out-of-desperation move. So I don't even know if I can consider that a tactical mistake. Maybe the tactical mistake with Stannis Baratheon was teaming up with the Red Woman, Melisandre. 
He had a claim to the throne. He had an army. He could have rallied people around him, but he went this weird way and started believing her. And along the way, she may have pushed him to some decisions that he didn't want to do. Some of them worked out when he saved the day at the walls one. And Battle of Blackwater didn't work out because she said, I wasn't there. So maybe it's a wash, but it's one of those chicken or the egg type of situations. Stannis charged Winterfell, and he shouldn't have. But maybe he was in that bad spot because a long time ago. He teamed up with someone he shouldn't have. Interesting thoughts, though. I'm sure there's more answers out there. Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. I like the examples that you gave for the worst tactical decision in Game of Thrones. But if we really want to stop and think about it, if we really want to go back as to the largest mistake, it would be the children of the forest creating the Night King in the first place. Let me explain. The children of the forest use natural magic. Uh, there are many, many different ways that Children of Force may have slowed down or stopped mankind in the first place. Uh, created a plague that only affected humans. Uh, blocking off passageways uh, in the ocean to prevent them from actually landing in the first place. Uh, sterilizing them through natural means, uh, through food or whatever. But instead they created a, a weapon of mass destruction that eventually turned on not just the humans, but on the, on them, the children of the forest themselves. The children of the forest creating the Night King is the single greatest tactical mistake in Game of Thrones. Thanks. All right. That's a great answer, Kevin. We might have my answer. We're asking what is the single greatest tactical mistake and blunder in all of Game of Thrones and we're thinking a lot of the story now season 5, 6, 7 going back to season 2 with Stannis and Melisandre and the Battle of Blackwater Bay a lot of that kind of stuff but I don't know I'm not ready to fully commit to this I'm ready to hear the jury's opinion but this might be the answer the children of the force in an hour of desperation use their magic to create a a legion of ice soldiers and a legion of magic-based soldiers and army to defeat man. And it backfired. Backfired in a big way. Led to their near extinction, which now has kind of led to their extinction. Led to a long night. Led to a big battle. It led to, well, led to where we are now. And if you were to believe, and this is mostly show only, that the Night King we see now was that Night King, uh, was that first one created by the children of the forest under that tree. Well, their mistake is still going. So there's a lot of other mistakes. I mean, I was also thinking about Jon Snow. He almost made a big fatal mistake, getting himself and his army surrounded in the Battle of the Bastards. We've been talking about Stannis. We've been talking about going north of the Wall. That's a big one. I still think that one is pretty damn big. Because you maybe could have defeated the Night King if you went in about it a different way. But now here we are, and the Night King is rolling down. He's heading south. His ice dragon has burned down the wall. He's gathering up strength, gathering up more armies. Just might be the children of the forest are to blame for all of this. What do you guys think? Looking forward to your uh, weighing in on this decision. Hey, Ken. So I was just uh, listening to your response to Eric's idea about uh, Stannis's big blunder. And I do think that's a very valid point of view um, and a very valid blunder. Um, you did mention, though, in that response that, that he really couldn't have been prepared for the secret army. And, and I agree. And it made me think immediately, is there any sort of army or secret uh, 
a group of people that we're not thinking of, that we're unaware of, that could roll in to help the people of Westeros at the last second. I mean, at this point, we know um, the, they think that the Lannister army could make a difference. But what do we all here think? Like, is there any chance, even if the entire known world got together to fight the army of the undead, would it make any difference? Is there enough dragon glass and Valyrian steel to arm every known person in the world? Every living person in the known world, rather? Um, it's just a thought that crossed my mind, and I'm just bewildered by it. So I'd love to know what you and everybody else thinks. Thanks for taking the call, and have a great night. Hey, Ken. So I just uh, listened to Kevin's idea about the worst blunder being the creation of the Night King. I 100% rescind my previous idea. And I am on board with that. As much as I feel that sending a team north of the wall was a huge blunder, um, creating that issue, creating the Night King himself, and by extension the Army of the Dead, is is a horrible decision that cannot be ignored. I think that's a great poll, Kevin. Uh, thanks for taking the call. All right, that is uh, one vote now in the corner of Kevin's idea of that the greatest tactical mistake, the biggest blunder in all of Game of Thrones was all the way back at nearly the beginning of all of it, the children of the forest creating the White Walkers. The need to create this uh, sort of weapon of mass destruction, as Kevin has described it, that has backfired not just for them during that time and that generation, but for ever. And what we're dealing with now. I don't know if there's a better answer. I'm still waiting to hear. You guys can call on in here to Daily Thrones. What is the biggest tactical blunder in all of Game of Thrones? We'll see. We'll see if anyone can top that. The weekend edition of Daily Thrones rolls on. Hey, Ken. I also I have to go with what Kevin said with the biggest tactical error. I, thinking about it, you know, that I mean, that, that's got to be it. I mean, the children of the forest were creating their own destruction not knowing it, of course, and, you know, as you said now, still dealing, the people in Westeros are still dealing with the ramifications of it, even to now. All right, uh, I think we can declare this the winner now. Eric's voted, Thomas has voted, I voted, that's three for three. Children of the Forest, creating the White Walkers. In an effort to defeat the old men, but in the end, defeating themselves and everybody in the entire world, possibly up till now, We'll see how the fight goes, but that is the biggest tactical blunder in all of Game of Thrones. Tyrion can rest easy. Jon Snow can rest easy. Daenerys, Cersei, Jaime, even Catelyn Stark, Ned Stark. You've all made mistakes here on Game of Thrones. You've all bumbled and fumbled the ball. But now, now we can say... The children of the force made the biggest biggest mistake in all the Game of Thrones. What else is going on here? Let's round up the weekend edition with some more topics. Hey, Ken. So um, just rewatching season seven and a thought crossed my mind about uh, Jamie and Lady Elena and that scene. So in that scene, obviously, we get the very, very rough delivery of the truth about Joffrey from Lady Elena to Jamie after she drinks the poison that he's given her. I actually think that this is the single moment that broke Jamie Lannister completely. Um, I don't know that I have much of a reason, like, I mean, other, the, other than the obvious one there that she murdered his son in a very violent and horrible way. Um, I just, I think it's the single moment that broke him. Uh, some of us view Jamie now as kind of a, 
half-redeemed character that all he has to do is put that one foot in the right direction and we might be okay with him again. Um, some people I know already are okay with him. And I know he doesn't leave until the end of the season. He doesn't forsake Cersei until the end of the season. But I think that's the single moment that broke him. So just wanted to share that thought. When did Jamie Lannister finally break? Some great insight there from Sir Thomas Adal, who's been a great contributor to us here on Daily Thrones for a long time. And uh, that's the reason why. Uh, great insight there. And going to this moment in Season 7, about halfway through, Lady Elena goes out like a champ. It's one of the best deaths in all of Game of Thrones. One of the best moments for her. Uh, even, even though it's unfortunate at the end of her life there. And I, I understand what you're saying, Thomas. And I think you're right. I think along the way, there's a lot of things that began to break Jamie, but he didn't want to. I always found it interesting that he, you know, in, in show only, things play out differently in the books at times, but in show only, when he when he kind of returns and, and Cersei's treating him bad and he kind of, it's like he feels he has to stick with her. He feels he has to take the abuse. Feels like he's earned it. So I think he's been broken along the way, but in his mind... It, it it turns on himself. Uh, he was he, he is the problem, uh, not the other uh, situations in his life, not her. Um, and look, Jamie is the problem for a lot of reasons. Uh, he, he is uh, he is an enemy to himself sometimes. So he breaks along the way. But I do think it's that final moment by Olena admitting that admitting that she murdered his son. It's not just that. It's not just that information. I think it's the whole situation. I think it all brings back. I think it all turns ugly in his head. And how almost he's doing a favor to Lady Olenna because I think he has some honor in him. Cersei would, would do horrible things to her. So even then, in that moment, he's going against Cersei to find uh, to keep to some kind of honor inside him and then maybe he should have maybe Cersei was right which might make him think maybe Cersei was right the whole time and it takes him back to that moment when Joffrey's dead and his brain implodes it's a big psychological soup and I do think Jamie breaks in that moment he can't take it anymore and then he has to face down a dragon. Then he thinks, we're going to lose. And Cersei's colder than ever. I think Jamie is forever changed in that moment. Forever changed in season, season seven, as you said so well, Thomas. He's always been almost redeemed. Redeemed for a lot of people. Some people going back to that bathtub scene. Only back in season three, we'll say, that's when Jamie was redeemed for them. And I can understand that. I think going all the way back to season one, when he talks to... Robert and Barristan and, and talks about what the Mad King said before he died, before Jamie killed him. That began the process of redemption for me uh, with Jamie Lannister. So this season, season seven, Jamie finally takes that step in the right direction. And I think this time he will stick to it. He will stay on this path because I think this confusing mishmash of heart and brain Loyalty, truth, and knowing what he has to do, but not being strong enough to do it at all is exploding in Jamie Lannister in that moment. He does break.
but in breaking, changes forever. Hey, Ken, the answer, sir, Thomas's call is a great call. Um, the, the one group of uh, people I can think of coming that can, that can help the cause and may end up actually coming, I know Kevin from Pre-Cocktails has brought this up, or, or the red priests and priestesses. I think, you know, maybe Melisandre went to go get help, went to go get them. I, I don't know about that 100%. Of course, we'll find out, but I definitely think they could play a role in Season 8. Melisandre from Ashai. She is a woman of mystery, a woman of intrigue, a dangerous woman, and a fraud, but also perhaps the only one with real magical skills. I mean, not counting Piat Pri in the House of the Undying. What will Melisandre do? We've talked about it a lot here. Will those shadow babies return? In the books, there was more than just one. So we know this can happen again. I like what you said, Eric. I like this idea that Melisandre did leave to go get help. We kind of took it from that scene with Varys that she was running off because she kind of didn't want to be around Jon. Things didn't go so well, and she wanted to go hide. But Melisandre knows. I think she does know. I think those flames have told her something. The idea that she's gone off... We'll return, whether it's through shadow babies or flaming swords or some other skill. I do believe those red priests and priestess will have some answers. Will have something to do, or it might just be Melisandre. Maybe in the book it's more. Maybe the red priests and priestess come on back. More of a full-scale army in the books. But in the show, it's easy if it's just Melisandre. I don't think we're going to see Kinvara and some of the others return. No, no. And Thoros, of course, is gone. But Melisandre could return and have something to do with the end here. And that's one of the things, I, as I look towards Season 8 from this point, far off, to high vantage point, I love the idea of, of everyone having something to do. It's the end of the story. And those who have survived still have a part in this, still have a reason to be here. I really like that idea. It's almost comforting in a way. So, what is Melisandre's purpose? Will those shadow babies return? Will Jon Snow be one of those shadow babies, or at least his form, much like Stannis before them, before him? We'll find out. That's the weekend edition of Daily Thrones. We cobbled together this nice podcast over the course of Friday, Saturday, and Sunday here on Daily Thrones. It's nice talking to you guys. You can always call here. On Anchor, find the podcast podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. See you guys.